Some people seem lucky in life. They seem to catch the breaks. I think I am one of those people. And yet, we also meet people to whom life seems unfair. The cards of life don't seem fairly dealt out. What of those people? Can the idea of the future being different be useful? I think we all want to feel like we've got a clean canvas and maybe I didn't have to go to those places I, I went to and some of those really dark spots I went to in my life. But what it gave me was a sense that how dare I judge anybody else because it would have been very easy for me to end up in those places too. And so once I got that yep. deep understanding that every person deserves a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth chance, because life's a bit too hard to get right the first time. That is my guest today on FuturePod, Adam Drake, the founder of Balanced Choice, which works with movement, theatre and sharing stories to encourage positive behavioural change. Welcome to FuturePod, Adam. Hey, thanks, Pete. Great to be here. Yes, it's a conversation I think both of us have been looking forward to yeah. the Adam Drake story. How do you want to tell the Adam Drake story and the balanced choice story? I think the only way I know how, and that's from my heart, <laughs> the story is an interesting one going back many years. I always think it's important to talk about the time growing up in Lilydale, Victoria, down in Melbourne and going to Mount Evelyn Christian School and at that school. When I was in year 10, they actually taught us Walpuri and took us to Yuwundamu and I was given a skin name, Jabananka, which I still get called in many communities that I go visit these days. But then my parents moved me up to the Gold Coast and spent some time up there. I fell across theatre and acting at a university, Griffith, and studied that. I remember Mike Foster, my lecturer, taking me up first year university to Numanbar Correctional Centre and running a theatre workshop and getting me to run a couple of games and seeing the power of theatre in prisons. I thought, wow, this is interesting stuff. And then yeah. having an uncle like you, who is a futurist, who used to blow my mind every time I'd talk to you and just make my brain bigger. That's the way I talk about it. And then finding that fitness got my body feeling good. So there's a few things that I really latched onto. But to be honest, Peter, I was pretty lost in my 18, 19, 20s. When I'd found theatre, I started touring comedy shows and then school shows with Queensland Arts Council and Australian Theatre for Young People. Then they thought it was a good idea to start sending me out to communities like Arakoon, Palm Island, went out to Tennant Creek. And I remember just being so blown away by the fact that the places like Tennant and Narracoon were a part of Australia and I'd never seen that part of Australia before. And I found it so confronting and I just went, what do you do when you're confronted? Do you walk away or do you lean in? <laughs> and so I leant in and I moved out to Tennant Creek with my fiance at the time and I went out to make a difference. <laughs> I thought I'd make this wonderful difference, but I collapsed. Like I was already struggling with my own alcohol in my uni days. I would say I was self-medicating to some degree because I had a lot of anxiety and fear as a kid growing up. And I went to Tennant Creek thinking moving was going to fix me and I was going to fix people. <laughs> I've never fixed anyone. I'm only still working on myself. <laughs> So I got out to Tennant Creek and I tell the story that uh, mum and dad moved out with me and then my fiance moved out and we had my second daughter Martina out there, but mum and dad moved back and then my fiance and I broke up and she left to go up to Cairns with my daughter. And I still tell the story about how my dog ran away, took off under the fence and just left me. And I'm just like, can this get any worse? Like I just you know, thought it was rock bottom, but. It wasn't. My dad came and pulled me off a couch in Tennant Creek and said, come on, you need to come up to Darwin, come and sit on Larrakia country and just heal. So I sat on a few beaches up there and kept drinking, thinking that was going to help and got involved with Corrugated Iron Youth Arts, doing some theatre stuff and 
still we're just getting by and my alcohol still being an issue to the point mum and dad went over to America to see my other uncle. And I think you were over there at the time and I literally collapsed. Mm. I, I reckon I'm lucky to get through that time. That was a tough time. And my sister, Kelsey, pulled me off the couch, put me into a rehab. I did a 10 day detox in that rehab. And I remember going, I don't want the story to end like this. And I remember being under a tree and kicked out of my parents' home for drinking because I'd stolen their grog and it was rock bottom, but that's only just over a decade ago now. And under that tree, I'd like to think that's where I started the idea of balanced choice. But what I used to do is I'd drive past Dondale when I was working with Corrugated Iron Youth Arts and a little voice in my head would say, you need to do something in there. You need to do something in there every time. And so I went and did something in there. <laughs> I went to government and I said, look, I've got these things and mate, I was still struggling like with my grog and everything. I've got this stuff about fitness, theater and hope theory. You taught me about hope theory and I've gone, this stuff's ingenious. This is brilliant. And I want to run some sessions in Dondale. And I said, look, you can have three hours a week. We'll give you a shot. And to be honest, if I'd looked at me at around that table, the way I would have looked, the way I would have spoken, yeah. wow, I can't believe they took a risk on me. Would it have been a massive risk? And here we are, what, 10 years later and pretty much all around Australia, been over to America with Homeboy Industries in so many prisons and doing corporate workshops. And who would have thought that under that tree, we got to this point. And so that's kind of part of the Adam Drake and Balanced Choice story. It is interesting, Adam, as I reflect on it, you're on a journey and everybody who loves you went with you on the same journey. And everybody had hope for you. You had this group of invisible supporters that backed Adam Drake to do something, yeah. whatever it was going to yeah. be. And, and yet the fascinating question for me, and I'm sure for people listening, is how does that person who's been through that, how does that become the fuel and inspiration for what balanced choice becomes? <laughs> yeah, balanced choice really started to get going when I started to believe the kids who were locked up. <laughs> and that's probably quite ironic, but every time I would come in to, to Donda, the kids would be like, Adam, you're here. You're here. <laughs> and they'd get so excited about seeing me. And I was like, these kids really love me. They genuinely love me. And then I went, what if these kids love me this much and my own daughters love me and you love me and my family loved me. But those kids who had every reason to probably doubt the person that I was walking in to do stuff with them pointed me towards the fact that I deserve to start loving myself. And I still say to this, that's the key that those kids handed me was they just pointed me to self-love, which returned me to myself. And mm. then I started to heal. And then I started to gather amazing stuff like Yanni and Jason and Brianna Yvonne and all of a sudden, Ollie, they all started turning up, all these wonderful people, and they loved me. And then I realized a lot of the kids that I was working with didn't have many adults in their lives who had done the right thing by them or it's even to the point of like just being consistent for them. And I went, yeah, these kids deserve this. They deserve me to be a better adult. And so I started doing things like going on Ninja Warrior and falling in the water straight away. But what's that quote? Yeah, the definition of success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. So then I went to push-ups to try to break world records for push-ups. And I did it in Dondale. And I remember I was doing the push-ups and the kids were taped off around me because we were filming it for the Guinness Book of Records. But there was one kid and he yells out, Adam, 
we need a champion, come on. Oh, I'll never forget that. Mm. That's stayed with me to this day. And oh, I just want to be the best adult I can be because these kids deserve it. And then I realized that the adults in the corporate world and the people in government, they deserve it too. Like you just got to keep turning up as your best self. Yeah, I think, see, the word that comes up for me, Ed, is redemption. Mm. But I don't mean someone regarding you as redeemed. You yourself feel redeemed. And how much stepping out of you and your personal redemption, if I want to call it that, how does this happen with the work that Balance Choice does in the prisons and in the communities and in the corporate organizations? How much do people want to feel redeemed in their own eyes? Yeah. I think we all want to feel like we've got a clean canvas and I, uh, yeah, I had to go to, maybe I didn't have to go to those places I, I went to and some of those really dark spots I went to in my life, but what it gave me was a sense that how dare I judge anybody else because it would have been very easy for me to end up in those places too. And so once I got that yeah. deep understanding that every person deserves a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth chance because life's a bit too hard to get right the first time. And then it's the encouraging people along the way that actually helps them believe that they can get there and that builds the agency. And yeah, those kids, they pointed me towards my healing. They pointed me towards my redemptive story. And so then I went, I want to keep doing that. And now I want to gather a whole bunch of people who, when they look at these kids that are locked up, or they look at these people going through these hard times, believe that they can turn it around and change. And that leads me to a value. And we've started to do some work around values with our anchor program that we do. But the one thing that I think is crucial in all of this is forgiveness. And so I'll say a lot of the time, if you've been carrying around stuff for a bit too long, it might be time to put it down. And that's actually forgiving of self. How do you forgive yourself for where you've been, some of the things you've done? How do you turn that around? Because when you can start to forgive yourself and believe that you deserve a better life than the one you're giving yourself, then you start on that right trip. Yeah, that's what the future offers everybody. I'm going to move here to a couple of what you might call your tools or your you know, tricks from the balance choice bag. I'm going to give you three processes, activities that I think somehow both explain you and explain balanced choice. And hopefully when you explain them to the listeners, you'll both tell them how you use them or how they, they form part of this balanced choice experience. The three things I want you to talk to, one you've already mentioned, which is the push-up, because it's more than just a form of physical activity, something that you have return to time and time and time again. Yeah. The second one is the theater game. I would call it the two high where people stand on your shoulders. Another one of the striking experiences for participants. And the last one I want you to talk to is I think the first thing I formally taught the balanced choice team is they were. To hail inner tool as futures trying, which again, giving you a futures frame to talk about time and past, present, future. And that, as I think, 
had a life of its own, and I'd love you to talk about that the listeners. Yeah, let's start with the push-up then. As soon as I've been there and I talked a bit about how important that is, um, for me, the push-up is, I realised after a while of going into detention centres and, and doing a lot of push-ups alongside people that creating that rhythm next to each other, that ability to look next to you and see that young person's trying so hard to do that push-up with you to the point where we've now designed a workout called 50 different types of push-ups because we don't have weights or whatnot running around in prisons because they can be used as weapons. So we had to get creative. And so the push-up became really important. And then we started trying to break world records with push-ups and weight on our backs for some of those push-ups. But I tell a story that goes back to when I was around 17, I was on the Gold Coast. I got picked up by the learner driver, car, Palm Beach. I was at school on the Gold Coast and they came and picked me up. And I remember going for a drive and I was, the learner driver instructor was, yeah, obviously had dual controls and we were driving out the back of Burley Heads, got to West Burley Shops and this truck pulled out in front of their learner driver car and I went smash straight into the side of it. And the instructor next to me head hit the dashboard and started grabbing at her chest and oh, the truck started to try to take off and I got out in my school uniform running around trying to get this truck to stop and pull over and then the school bus went past my school bus and all my mates are hanging out ah Drakey smashed the driver's car and I just felt so small I just I was devastated I remember going home and I went to bed that night. I don't even know if I had dinner. I just went to bed. I was just devastated about what I'd done. And the next morning I had my head under the covers and my dad came in and he's like, Ad, get up. I said, no, nah, dad, no, I don't want to get up. Ad, just get up, mate. Dad, I'm not getting up. He goes, Ad, get up. You're driving me to school. I said, I'm not driving you to school, mate. Oh, you know what happened yesterday? He goes, get up. Otherwise, there's a good chance you might never drive a car again. So get up and get ready for school. And I tell the story because what he told me to do was get back up. I went down, get back up. And what's a push up? You get knocked down, you get back up. Then all of a sudden you got a weight on your back, you go down, you get back up. It gets heavier, you get back up. And I tell it like that to the kids because. There's some kids over the years that we've lost because they didn't get back. And I'm sick and tired of, of losing good kids. And so I just want them to keep pushing back up. And so it's a physical way to tell that story. And I think it's an important one too. So that's the push-up. The two high is actually a, a circus or an acrobat type move that was taught to me by Gavin Robbins, who's the movement coach at NIDA these days. And Gav does online sessions like you do, Pete, just to upskill our theatre stuff with Balance Choice. And even before I started Balance Choice, I used to tour with Queensland Arts Council and Queensland Theatre Company and Australian Theatre for Young People. And we'd go to schools and I'd put kids on my shoulders. They would do it too high. They would start by surfing on my back, put their feet to a V position on the lower part of my back. I'd push up into what you would call dog pose in yoga. From there, I would then go to a half high where the kid's standing on the lower part of my back. And then they would go up to the top, grab my hands, step onto my shoulders. I'll grab their calf muscles and they will stand and shine like a star. And first few times I started to do it, I couldn't get over the joy of me and for the kid. Mm. And if you watch some of the videos on our sites or on the Facebook page yeah. or your LinkedIn or whatever, you will see that when the kid is up there, there is complete joy. And then they've achieved something and they grab your hands and they come down and they're buzzing with so much energy, then they're just still moving because they can't get rid of the energy. And I love it because... It allows me to then talk about the fact of 
what did we have to do together there? And we talk about trust and we talk about communication and we talk about safety. But what also we talk about is it allows us to then go in your life, who's that person who's been able to be there for you consistently, balanced, communicated well with you, kept you safe so you could go higher in life. And it's funny, Pete, because a lot of the time when we go around the circle and talk about that after we've done the lift, I would say 95% of the responses are females. Um, and that I find really incredible. It's auntie or it's nana or it's mum, and it's rarely men. And so I also think it allows for great discussion about how do we become that for our young people again? How do we become consistent, balanced, strong, good communicators so we can keep you safe? And so that's why I love that lift. So many other uh, reasons why it's important, but the joy is probably the bit I love the most. Yeah. And then the triangle. You taught me the triangle and it's funny actually, because whenever I bring the triangle to a session, I always think, oh, I hope I'm doing this justice. <laughs> because you know, the, the Futures <laughs> community is a wonderful one. And Lynette Windergast, who's been an amazing supporter of ours on LinkedIn and yourself, Pete, and others who I've met along the way who have just really encouraged us. I think, oh, am I, am I doing a good job of this? But I, what we do with our anchor is I go, okay, let's look at our value for the day. And, and the guys in the prison or the girls in the prison will pick the value that they want to look at. So seeing as though at the start of this, I spoke a lot about self-love. Let's put self-love through our little futures triangle. So we go, all right, in the past, let's go down to that bottom. How much did you love you back there? Is there a time you want to tell us about where you felt like there was some self-love? And then I share a bit about my story about how I felt like back in those days, I had very little self-love. I wanted to love everybody else. I wanted to fix everybody else. I wanted to, but I actually didn't have much self-love for myself. And so we all gather around that bottom corner of the room and we just talk about self-love in the most beautiful way. And I say, oh, the cool bit is that's the past. Let's go over to this part of the room. And we go to the bottom left of the room and we go, okay, what about now? What's different between here and there? What did we learn? How much self-love have you got now? And then we start to tell that story. I talk about how I got led to love myself because others loved me and and then we have great discussion there. And then we head to the top part of the room, middle top. We say, okay, if this is the future and we look back there and we could have our chair still sitting there from before and we go, and that's the past and there's the present, but we've walked into the future. What's something you can commit to today for your self-love? so that you love yourself a little bit more when you return to that seat in the present. And then when you walk out of here, back to yourself and that's it. And then they write it down, they, they put it in their journals or they stick it on a, a post-it note and they make commitments. Uh, and we do that for 26 values yeah. and we then mark that change with an anchor bracelet and we just hope that we stay closer to our values than we were before we started doing the program with Balanced Choice. That's how we use it these days, mate. You've had someone painted the triangle for you, didn't they? Yes, that's, it's really moving actually, Pete, because what happened was there's a guy in Tennant Creek, um, his name's Steve Sutton Jari. He's an artist and he was I was doing some work out in the community and I had to do a talk for the Chamber of Commerce NT, just doing a little keynote. And after I got off the stage, he grabbed me and he said, oh, I really want to do some artwork for you. I just, I want to do a design or a painting for balanced choice. And I was like, ah, oh, great. Just go for it. Whatever, whatever you feel is right. 
And then I didn't see him for a while. It was probably about a week later. I was standing out the front of the youth center and he pulls up alongside me and he yells out, hey, Jabbanunka. He goes, I got that design for you. But the other thing that was amazing about this was the man sitting in the seat next to him was an elder for that community who just passed away. And he was really great friends with my dad and he was suffering with dementia. And I just put my hand on his shoulder and I just said, hey, I just want to say thank you for opening your heart for our family out in this community. And he started to cry a bit and I started to cry and he passed just after that. And so that interaction happens and then Steve pulls out this piece of paper and on the piece of paper, he's drawn the future's triangle. <laughs> but with his Aboriginal art and I'm like, mate, and there's the anchor in the middle of it and it's just this beautiful design. And then around the outside, he's got these circles, which are the people. He said, these are the communities that you travel to. This is where Balanced Choice yeah. travels to. And these are the messages that Balanced Choice is putting out. But on the inside, this is the triangle. And you're constantly moving between those places on that triangle. And I said, do you even know about the Futures Triangle? He says, no, talk to me about that. And I'm like, what? And so I start to explain to you about the Futures Triangle. And the funny thing is the footprints on it, if you actually look, walk back to the past regularly. And it actually works yeah. around going from present to past to future. And I go, oh, wow, look at that. And so, yeah, he just blew us away. And so that's now going to be on our new design. I got a shirt coming down for you for Christmas. And yeah, it's, uh, I'll show you the painting. It's in the back of my truck at the moment. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Awesome. Thanks, Ed. Australia is an interesting place regarding uh, its relationship with Indigenous communities. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that Australia had a referendum to recognise Indigenous Australians and in a majority of states, in all states actually, I think Australia said, no, we're not going to recognise Indigenous Australians. So it's an interesting place for me to ask you, what are you paying attention to? What's happening around Adam Drake? and balanced choice that's got your attention, either for reasons of joy, excitement, or for aspects of fear and concern. Yeah, mate, I, that, was, that was a really tough one, the referendum. It was tough for a lot of reasons, but I work obviously in many communities, like we were counting the other day, and at the moment we reach out to 33 different communities in the Northern Territory doing the work and uh, I, there's just so much hurt that I felt from people who I really respect and love and I've walked alongside for a period of time and that was difficult. But the one thing that I've seen that's given me hope since is a bit like a story when I was working with Balanced Choice. And I just started and I was doing three hours a week and I asked for four hours a week because we weren't doing the girls block. And I said, we should really be doing the girls block and I have an extra hour. And they said, there's not the extra hour at this point, Adam, you actually won't get any more than three hours a week was what was said to me at the time. And I went, I walked out that door with a determination and a grit because the rejection there was enough for me to go, I'm going to go get that. The reason I tell that story is I see that the rejection of the referendum and the way it was delivered, the way it was packaged, we could talk about it all day. It is a moment to go and get it, to build that strength inside you because the no means that we actually now need to really stand up, unite and be heard and do this properly. And so I'm seeing that in some communities. I was out at Kalkaringi a while ago, right near the Wave Hill walk-off, which was such an iconic place for Whitlam and Lingiari with the sand through the hand and land rights. And there's a young man out there, Mathan and Eldris and Rob Roy, and they were saying to me, Adam, 
we've got to stand up as men. We want to get a men's shed here, a place where we can get strong again. And I, I see that people are, are really starting to stand up in community now and take control of their communities again. Mm -hmm. And I go, that's important. Uh, if you go out to places like Nullumboy, up East Arnhem Land, Pete, and go out on the homelands and sit out there, there are answers out there for Australia that we've never gone to look into or lean into with the bushfires and all the stuff that had happened recently, the way that they deal with nature and the countryside and you know, the burn-offs and things like that. Like there is so much wisdom, so many wonderful libraries in these communities. But when I was living in Burley Heads on the Gold Coast, I was so far away from it. And so, yeah, I needed to go and immerse myself in it. So, yeah, what I'm seeing, Pete, is there's still a determination, a resilience, a brilliance, but I also know that it is another kick in the guts. And so how do we overcome this? Well, we've got to start uniting and it's actually the job of every Australian person to go and lean in and learn more because without doing that, you don't have a right to speak about it. Yeah, we've had a conversation that's been going on for quite a while where I try to lean into you to work the mm. systems better. Yes, it's important. Person in front of you is the most important person, no question. The other thing that is necessary, I think, is for people to step back, not to reject, not to leave behind, but to also spend some time working the system. Is the system itself the lead dog yeah. in a different way. And I know that you've also started to work at the level of the system on top of working with people. Do you want to just talk some about those things? Yeah, it's, you, you've run a few amazing sessions with us, Pete. And one that stuck with me was when you taught me about spiral dynamic uh, and the way the colors sit with each other and the way to be. And you also played a game called the Polak game. And I remember when you did that with me, I might've even said to you, I don't see the point in that game. I don't, I don't. <laughs> and it's become probably one of the most useful tools. <laughs> but I remember I ended up in the you know, upper right, which was so optimistic about the way we were going to do this and the way we we're going to see change. And I remember doing it a while ago with a group down in Melbourne, actually, it was St. Martin's Youth Theatre and I was with their staff and I found myself almost standing in the middle and I went, what happened? <laughs> what, ha what happened here? <laughs> and then I realised, oh, I've leaned a lot more closer to the system because the system itself, it, <laughs> it it's only evolving. And so if you go into systems rather than protest against them, and there's a place for both, but you go into system and then you start to try to understand the system and then you try to adjust the way that you think things might be a little different, then that's where I've seen the most change for balanced choice. You know? I'll give you a, a living day example of that is we started the work in Dondale and we went through a Royal Commission. We went through some pretty harrowing stuff. Balanced Choice continues 10 years later to be in the same space. And then other detention centres like Ashley down in Tasmania, Kaunatapa down in South Australia, and then Cherry Creek, which is the new detention centre down in Victoria, reached out. And... In Cherry Creek, we're actually working with the staff and we're running sessions of old school balance choice, new school balance choice, the anchor, handing on activities. And all of a sudden we're working with the youth justice officers so that they're working with the kids in a balanced choice way which I always say is through the lens of PERMA and a very smart man who's interviewing me now taught me about PERMA and that when we walk into a room as balanced choice, you have positive emotion, 
you engage, you build relationship, you build meaning, and you achieve or accomplish something together. And here I am now with Balanced Choice and the amazing people who the team are so much smarter than I am. Like I look at them, mate, they're in their early 20s, a lot of them, and they are just so dynamic, doing beautiful work, working in systems, and we're seeing systems start to adjust. One of my staff, Ollie, that used to be a prison guard. He now goes into the same center that he was actually an officer in, running Balanced Choice. And I go, oh, that's fascinating. How cool is that? Let's do some more stuff like that with the system together and work out if we can make these places more interesting, doing more interesting work and growing. Yeah. And systems are only people, but people that can sometimes be, feel constrained by the rules and ways that people have worked previously. Yeah, that's, it's so true. Uh, the more I do the work and, and you meet with the people at the top of the systems, the executives, the ministers, you start to realize, like you said, just people and they're just people trying to do their best. And then there's policy yep. that's being written to try and guide. Um, no one's, I don't know, but I don't believe anybody's going out of their way to make this thing fall over and be an absolute basket case. <laughs> I haven't met that person yet. No. Let's talk about how you talk about balance choice, how you communicate what balance choice is. Yeah. Communication's interesting, isn't it? Because often we have this big system called media communication that, yeah, interesting to work yeah, with. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And that's been a real journey, Pete, from the early days when people would say, what is balanced choice? Oh, oh theatre, fitness and hope theory. <laughs> and people would be like, what's hope theory? Oh, yeah, let's sit down and we'll have a talk about Schneider and the work that Schneider did. And we just start to chat about it like that and made I was feeling my way through it at the time I was making it with the young people they were making the program that they wanted like really but then you know as things grew and you know back a few years ago I think it's probably four years ago we got nominated for Australia Day award in the NT and that in itself is fascinating with all the surroundings of Australia Day and working obviously in a lot of communities and how that sat and then you're getting microphones put in your face and people asking you after an incident at Dondale's played out they're asking you oh can you tell us a little bit about to what you think is happening in Dondale tell us about the staff how are the staff working with and that sort of talk and you're like I started to try to what's the way that I spoke because I'm representing balanced choice and a staff group, then I'm representing some amazing youth justice officers who are doing really important work and a system that I don't necessarily agree with locking kids up, but I want to work out what's going to work. And then I've got a media, a microphone put in front of me by a person that I don't necessarily know, asking some questions about that place. I've got a contract in place. And mate, it is like, how do you do this? And so I started getting good at my interviews not being played. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because I'm bad at interviews or if I was just maybe not giving what was needed to get the story. Because there's a place for media. We need it. It certainly raises things we need to discuss and talk about. But. I'll just go back to the Royal Commission. I remember just after the Four Corners report came out for Donda, I was sitting in a room with Naja, which is the legal service up there in the Northern Territory, and Terry Burns was leading a meeting with a bunch of people. There was about 40 of us in a room. Now going around the circle saying, what are you worried about? What are you concerned about? And I remember saying, 
I'm really concerned about the staff. And everyone looked at me funny because I'm the guy that comes in and does the stuff with the kids. And it's, I said, well, because the staff, how they feel has a direct impact on how the kids feel. And if they're getting death threats and they're not able to wear their uniforms down the street, then we need to work out how they're okay too, because none of us are okay until all of us are okay. And that's something I learned from Father Greg Boyle over in Homeboy Industries when we got asked to go over to America and do some stuff over there and hang out with those guys. And such a wise person. He also says, there is no them and us, there is only us. Well, I like that. Yes, we might all be a certain shade of color in regards to spiral dynamics, but I like it when those colors merge and we start to see bridges between those colors and we start to see, yeah, different versions of that and second tiers and things like that. Thanks, Ed. The last question, last open question, two things. I want to talk about what hope Dumb's Choice might be doing in Mm. 10 years or so. But then I'll ask you a specific question I want to talk about. Unclehood yeah. and auntiehood. Because if I tell my story, like obviously I'm Uncle Pete. That's all. I've always been Uncle Pete. Yeah. And the people in Bella's Choice, they, yeah. they knew me as Uncle Pete. And then when I've gone to the prisons and worked in some of the prisons, I make them call me yeah. Uncle Pete as well. And I suddenly realized that this is actually friends are kind of important point that you talk about the wisdom, the gift that modern Australia could learn from mm. Indigenous communities. And unclehood yeah. and hardinghood are interesting and useful futures ideas. What do you want to uh, add to that? I really want to interview you one day and actually explore that with you. But for me, you are... You're my uncle. You're my uncle by blood, yes. But you've also earned unclehood to my team. And you've earned unclehood to the prisons and anybody that hears about you. And so there's communities out in the Northern Territory who know Uncle Pete. And I say you've earned that because, yeah. All of us can be called dad or mum or uncle. But when do we actually earn that? So that when you've got, I know there's many times, mate, there's you know, Lily, my daughter, and Martina, they've got people in their life who they call uncle who aren't blood uncles. But it's because that person became really important to them and built a beautiful connection with them. And I consider you my uncle, but I also consider you my elder. And why that's an important part to the uncle story is the respect. And I believe that respect has disappeared from a lot of places that I go to, younger for older. And so how do we find a way to bring some of that stuff back? That's interesting. Yeah, and I think we're only scraping the surface of actually what that means. But the wisdom you've imparted with me, I've then imparted down to my team. They are there imparting it out to the places that they reach. And I go, oh, this is a really interesting uncle relationship, this one. One of my future's colleagues, Riel Miller, on his podcast, he's had a number of podcasts that he talked about being a better ancestor. The notion that each of us think of ourselves as someone's ancestor. Probably a person is never going to know you. But how do you be the best ancestor yeah. you can be? Now, I, I think that notion of respect, care, love, it gives to when there doesn't necessarily need to be any reciprocation 
And I wonder whether uncle and auntie hood. But I, again, it'd be an interesting process, futures process to design into how do we build uncle and auntie hood yeah. into our futures. Yeah. You got me thinking, Pre, but the, the idea of the ancestor and the uncle and the auntie, it does remind me of something I listened to a while ago and it was about in a relay race, you hand on a baton and the runner grabs the baton off you and you have a change and they take the baton and they run and they hand it to the next person. And I like to think, what are you handing on? What's the baton that you're currently running with? Who did you receive it off? And of that baton, how much of it do you want to pass to that next person? And you've handed on the most beautiful baton with your study, your own journey, watching you transition from, I call it a business type, corporate type life to one of just a philosopher who has, you have a funny way of putting it to me. I think you say sometimes, oh, I had, I don't believe half the things I say. It's got a gold pan. I'm just swishing around. You seem to find a good way of getting the gold out. And I go, man, I, you actually are just sitting on a gold mine and you've, yeah, you've handed on a beautiful gold baton and we're just doing our best to run with it while we've got it to give it to the next ones. Thanks, Jack. So what is Dallas Choice in 10 years time? Let's do a quick and dirty preferred future balance choice. And Adam Drake. Yeah. I, I don't know whether to go to the farcical because I had this really weird idea a while ago and if only because of the caliber of a couple of the staff, well, no, all of the staff, what am I talking about? But we got a young guy down in Victoria, Jason, and sometimes when he talks, I just see a politician. And I go, imagine if the 14 balanced choice staff set up a party. That'd be interesting. <laughs> but no, it's, it's not, I certainly, I exclude myself of that because I don't ever want to end up in politics. I just thought the other day that'd be an interesting one because I love the way they think and I love the way they talk. Like today, mate, we wrapped up our year. We do an online uh, meeting every Monday and once a month we bring in a you or Gavin, the movement director, people who pass on knowledge to the team. And I said, let's finish this, this year up this week. And I, I really want you to think about someone in the group that's inspired you with something they've done this year. And so for an hour, I just sat back and listened to them talk to each other in the most beautiful way how proud they are of each other and hardly any of them mentioned me and I went oh that's so bloody good <laughs> because it used to be about me but you challenged me years ago and said Ad, I don't believe it's a program balanced choice program I don't believe it's a program it's not a program till you're not needed <laughs> and today I had a deep sense that I'm not that needed and that's just fine now because it allows me to go and do the really interesting work that is ahead of us as a group for a period of time. But then the team's going to do that. And then I'll just be the founder who sort of sits around and hangs out and they can come and chat to me every now and again. But the future with me completely doing myself out of a job. Or oh, right. we become an uncle. I like that, mate. As I listen to them, through the meetings over the years, there is just a deep sense that they're going higher than me in the two rally. And so they're reaching higher and it's now time for them. Jason actually does do it. He puts people on his shoulders, but it's not physically. They all do it. And so, yeah, I'm interested in the future without me at Balanced Choice and I'll always still be an uncle to them and love them and guide them. However, I don't know when that's actually going to happen. Other things I'm really interested in is how we become a bridge between groups that mightn't hang out too often. 
Uh, we did a workshop this year, which was really interesting. It was the Northern Territory Youth Roundtable and the seniors, the senior Northern Territorians. And I remember in that workshop, we played a bunch of connection theatre games and, and brought them all together. And some really interesting stuff happening and doing some futures triangle. And at the end, I said, you know, just share something with someone in the group that you saw today that you loved or whatever. And one lady who at the start, you know, really probably struggled a bit with the young people. She was an older person, one of the seniors. She goes, I was really scared of you. I was scared of you all. And then one of the girls goes, oh, I was scared of you too. So I want people who are scared of each other to start hanging out with each other because they just got to learn some stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I think that might that might be a future I'm interested in. Cool. Well, Ed, it's been overdue and been fun to have a chat. Thank you for your work at Balance Choice. Thanks to all the Balance Choice people in continuing to inspire and do you out of a job. Thanks for being a wonderful uncle and for walking away from the corporate world and opening that box and handing on your tools to all of us so generously, mate. A, Love you, and I'm just super thankful to have you in my life. Thanks, Max. I hope you enjoyed Adam's story and you find a bit of inspiration in it to be the best uncle or auntie you can be for the future. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support the pod, then please follow the Patreon link on our website. This is Peter Hayward. Thanks for joining me and see you next time.